Hey everybody, welcome back to The Producers. Uh, this episode is a little different than normal uh, because we did it at uh, the studio of the guest. And also I'm joined by, for the first time ever on the show, Millie, uh, Matthew's cat, um, during the intro. So, so she doesn't fuck anything up. She's, she's great. Um, so yeah, this episode is Michael McFall. Um, <laughs> he, has, he has a way of doing his, his kind of podcasting ventures where he... Does it all in one go. So he'll just do the intro, then he'll fade in the music live, and then he'll jump into it. So I'm not sure where we cut this one, but there will be, uh, it'll be it might be weird. Um, I don't usually do that. I usually just try to get that done separately. Uh, typical plugs, RVA Comedy, go see shows, go check out their social media. We just had our festival a little while ago, and it was so much fun. Looking forward to the next one and all the, all the in-between. Yeah, right, Millie. Um, Orbital Music Park, I believe this weekend or next, last weekend was the uh, event they had, and it was either a lot of fun or it will be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't think I have any other, other, uh, responsibilities, uh, to plug anything. So, I guess for now, let's just jump into the episode. Uh, thanks for listening, Tom. I hope you have something good. Now this is me. I don't hear myself in mine. Interesting. You don't hear yourself at all? No, I just hear you. And I don't hear any mic on you. Hold on a second. Let's see where you are. I can always cut this off. Oh, um, yeah. Jake Tom, if you're listening. We're in a different check studio one, today. Two, check one, two, check one, two. Check one, two. Okay, we're in three there. Okay. Two. <coughs> All right. Oof. Okay. Um, give me a couple more checks. Check, check, check. Check. Yeah, we're not here yet. Um, go ahead and talk into that mic first. I want to just make sure we know. Test, test. Keep going. Test, test. Okay, you're at one, you're at two. This one's one? Yep. Check the connection on the bottom mm-hmm. and just reseat the connection. And you should be on two. You gotta click. Okay, we're gonna chop your gain a little bit. Click, click, click. Oh, I think I, yeah, I think we got it. Okay, yeah, you need to be a little bit higher in gain. Yeah. Okay, I think we're good. I think we are good. And we'll take three off. All right, now you can do your, do your thing. <laughs> I've never, I've never, 
Hey everybody, welcome back to Producers. <laughs> That's so sloppy. I usually do the intros like four or five times. As many times as you need. Ooh. This is a digital world. This is a digital world, yeah. So, okay, starting fresh. Uh, hey everybody, welcome back to the Producers. Uh, I'm here today with Michael. Michael was the uh, key part of me getting the live show done. He did all the tech for that. So, how's it going, man? It's going good. It's a beautiful day. I don't usually do. It is a beautiful day, and this view is really nice. Um, I, we're on location at his his studio. He does podcasting for his job, and uh, I usually don't. There's only been a couple where I do the intros with a guest. Um, do you have anything you want to plug up top? I do not have anything to plug. Um, go see my teams, uh, Barry Ragu and Jensen. Y'all are on It'll first and third Saturdays typically. Although this, well, yeah, because this is coming out after. Um, that's all after so. second best, yeah. Yeah, way after. Um, yeah, first and third. Just go see RVA Comedy, uh, Orbital Music Park, Producers Cast, all the normal plugs. Uh, they're all in the description. And if you need a warm-up act for your team, um, Brave Ragu is available. We also do weddings and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> Have you ever done a, a wedding or a bar mitzvah for your improv or improv? I can answer half of the yeah half yes. Um, I used to be a wedding DJ, so I did do bar mitzvahs and weddings hmm. every weekend. But never for improv. Just never for, for no. But I mean, you have to like improv that you like people. <laughs> <laughs> you have to improv that you're really interested in the state of their marriage. Yeah, absolutely. I um one of my favorite things that I definitely want to hear about. Um, is you were a radio person in Chicago? Um, well, so I had, um, so I was a, I worked for a tech company and we went through like a layoff post September 11th. And um, so I worked with some guys that I really, really liked a lot. And um, so we found like um, basically a radio station slot. Um, we took over from a friend of ours named Tom Michael. And so he had a he had a regular show out of the Burbs called uh, Tom's Town that he did on this little indie station. So yeah, it, but it was um, you want to <laughs> you want to hear the rest of the background? Of no, it? I heard. I mean, I heard it. It was really funny. I mean, if you want to tell it again, that's fine. I am worried about. I don't hear myself again. Oh, okay. You're not hearing. I want to double check that. Um, on two, turn up the gain. Is the gain? Um, nope. Gain's on the board on channel two. It's the top. White. Yeah, the top white one. You can give yourself a little bit more. Or we can switch mics. How's that? Testing? Is that working? I hear you now. Okay. Just want to make sure. Um, okay, so we'll, I don't know if we'll cut that out. I don't know. I'm always down for no editing, but I feel like that's kind of an appropriate time. Yeah. So you told me a story about about how like that went when you were like, you, you, it was basically podcasting before podcasting. Um. Yeah, that kind of... <laughs> That's kind of an underlying thread <laughs> in my life of like, uh, you know what would be really great is to get this magazine on the internet. We had a lot of moments like that. Um, but yeah, this was this was before pod, well before podcasting. Um, I think, yeah, I think we were sort of inspired by a group that later podcasted, but um, they were on a thing called Tech TV, mm -hmm. and it was like some it was early geeks, and they would get all these like smart geeks and they would have like a talk show and they would kind of discuss things they were interested in and that was on tech tv eventually they moved to podcast format and for a while when they were the first ones in the space they were like number one but of course so we kind of modeled we modeled the show called it's not your fault <laughs> and um 
you know, at the time, nobody nobody trained in information technology. Like mm-hmm. you went to comp sci, comp sci degrees for programming. So if you're working with systems or anything else, you were getting your training from manufacturers like Microsoft and HP and Cisco. So those are where you were getting educated was through your companies rather than that. So all the guys I worked with were like actors, writers. And um, so, yeah, most of like a really artistic crowd was kind of working in IT because that really paid the bills well, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, just, you know, going to the theater and work in a coffee shop or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it was kind of a natural progression for us to kind of like have this really good friendship dynamic. And so we kind of transferred that to radio for like a year. Would you tell the story um, about your boss of the, of, the, of the space? Well, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was in a real this was in a real radio station. Um, <laughs> there's a uh, so in Chicago at the time, um, this would have been then you know like uh, early two thousands. There was a guy um, named Joseph Gentile or Joe Gentile, and uh, he was a he was a car dealer, and so he owned multiple dealerships. And there's kind of like a nouveau riche um, McMansiony suburb area in Chicago called Barrington. And so generally in Barrington, you have like a brand new McMansion, and then you also buy a horse that you don't use, and you keep that in your lawn. Um, and then your, all your children wear dressage and carry riding crops. And yeah, and you're fancy. Um, so, he had, so he had this, but then, you know, he wasn't happy being the Baron of Barrington, just that. So he bought an old motor in, you know, which is like outdoor parking lot and all, everything's exposed. You know, all the all the motel door, you know, rooms are exposed. And so he bought an old motel. And the rumor was is like certain people that he was friendly with, he let them stay at the motel, like mm-hmm. very friendly. But then in the main <laughs> office, like the first the first uh, the first office with like the extra suite, he built a radio station and he um, named it after himself. So it was WJJG, um, Joseph Gentile. And um <laughs> And so he had, and so I guess, yeah, what I told you before was, um, so your first impression upon coming into this place is like you go into wait, 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 tell, tell the story about how you got the gig. How did I get the gig? You were like, you would, the, 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 you would pay the dude? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was it was 50 bucks. Did you bring the 50 bucks? That was like, you'd drive, we'd drive through the, to the suburbs for like an hour and a half. And then it'd be like, so do you have the check? Did you bring the 50 bucks? And you would get in there and it wasn't like, how are you? Your show's starting in 15 minutes. Are you guys ready? Would you like, it was like, you got the 50 bucks? It's like, yeah, Tommy, we got the 50 bucks. And like, Tommy wouldn't let us into the tech booth until we had 50 bucks. And so it was, it was really freaking mobby to begin with. And then... It was just like, and then I remember getting a phone call. It's like, Joe says your check for 50 bucks bounce. We need the 50 bucks. Can you come out and bring the 50 bucks? And it's like, you own like four car dealerships and a freaking horse. Like, why do you need my 50 bucks, you freaking weirdos? Um, but yeah, so you'd, you'd come into the space and um, Joe was one of those guys that like he really prided himself on knowing a lot of people. He's a very proud member of the Chicago Italian community. I think is that that's where he kind of came up, and then he moved to the Burbs. And so he had pictures of himself with, you know, just like C-list Chicago people, which is even different than your normal national C-list. So mm-hmm. I could say a bunch of names, and they would make like Irv Kupiset. It would make no <laughs> sense to you, <laughs> Rick Kogan. But it's just pictures. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, Bob Harmon, the first bozo. Like, all these people. 
<laughs> all these people. And so he's got pictures of all of them. But then in this place of honor, there is like this gigantic, gigantic photo, black and white. Um, and it just takes up one whole wall by itself. And then he had like a little end table with flowers kind of flanking it. So it was clear like this was a shrine. This is kind of like if you look inside Joe Gentile's ego, this is what's in the middle of it. Like this is in his mind. If he took masculine, this is all he would see. And so it's in an old, it's a, it's, it's in an old like um, Tony Chicago. The picture's taken in like an old Tony, Tony Chicago hotspot, like probably the pump room at one of the downtown hotels. And um, Frank Sinatra is in the center of the photograph. He's sitting at a, he's sitting at a table. He's got a drink. There's like, you can kind of see hand of a waiter off to the side. Joe is sitting next to him. And, you know, Frank Sinatra lived an exciting life. You know, he seemed like kind of the guy, like, he's always drinking, probably always trying to find a good time. You know, whoever he's with, everybody tells great stories about him. Frank Sinatra looks totally fucking bored. Looks (laughs) bored out of his mind. He looks like he wants to, yeah, suicide was probably an option for Frank at that point. He's in the pump room. Like, he probably will run into Marilyn Monroe in the bathroom and have a great time. But right now, he hates his life. And Joe Gentile is next to him. And (laughs) what kind of moron is, like, sitting next to Frank Sinatra, and it's obvious he's yelling at the waiter. So he's got a big, round face. It's all angry. And he's just, like, pointing his finger at this, like... You can see a hand of a waiter who must be terrified because, like, you know, there's this fat little guy yelling at him and then Sinatra's sitting there. So this guy could get killed. And, yeah, he's just like, you know, the chairman's water is not cold enough. You get more fucking ice cubes for this guy. And so, yeah, so that's that was, like, the picture. <laughs> just the picture of him angry. And like, oh, my God. Yeah, and then Sinatra, Sinatra just, you know, so fucking bored. And that's, that's what he – so that was always – Kind of the pre-show ritual for that show, which was, which was just to sit and stare at that photo, and then just like we would all do voices and like try to pretend, but we knew what Frank was saying. <laughs> I fucking hate you. I'm never coming back to this fucking city. This is why I sing about New York. You fucking asshole. Um, leave the fucking waiter alone. Um, yeah. So and then yeah. So the show the show went on. I think for like a year. We had like a really cool theme song and. Uh, we tended to get people in their 70s because those are the only people that listen to the people show. People call in with their tech problems. Yeah, but it was it was so it was really underwhelming stuff. And mm-hmm. so you got like three guys that like we did that for a living. We would have I mean, we basically most of the time was spent doing the research for like a five a five minute news segment. And then basically like just preloading friends to call in. <laughs> and then occasionally, like, all of a sudden, like, the board would light up and Tommy would be like, yeah, somebody's calling from uh, hometown. And then, yeah, I would be a normal person and he would be nuts and old and angry. <laughs> I just, I love that story. That to me is just like quintessential, like, looking back on fondly memories. The good times. You ever know that you were, I mean, obviously, doing that radio show might not have been the good times. But, like, me hearing that story, I'm envious. You know, it's uh, it was, you know, it was a way to it was a way to kind of immediately go from like the sadness of a layoff and the sadness of like working close with close friends for like four years and then being able to continue to do that. I mean, I think by the time it was over, it was like, I don't want to give you 50 bucks anymore. I don't want to drive an hour and a half in the suburbs on Saturday. (laughs) But yeah, for the time, like it was it was a kind of way to like everybody was sort of ease into like a new stage in our lives at that point. 
Yeah, definitely. Like getting like getting something off the ground, creating something. I did this. This is my thing. And like, whoever did what, like, doesn't matter. The point is, like, you still did something. I think that's kind of like the the theme of the show is like doing stuff. So, with that like awesome segue, like, what else have you done? I don't know. I don't. I, that's like the only time we've ever talked about like that that story. Uh huh. Other than that, it's mostly been like business and like improv. But like, right. what what else is in your background? What else? What else do you got? Um, you want like some? You want like a bio? <laughs> yeah. What's your Twitter bio? Um, what? Oh, shit! I can't write that short. Um, I'm way too wordy. I, I'm from Michigan originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, grew up uh, grew up like about a mile from Lake Michigan on the western side of the state. In the twenties. In the tw- 1920s, um, <laughs> I got one of the first Model Ts out of Detroit because I live <laughs> <Yeah>. close. <laughs> um, did the jitterbug? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I guess yeah. Like, probably similar background to a lot of people that have been on the show. Like, um, was obsessed with comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a lot of TV. Like. I think at the time, like, that was a very typical, you know, low parenting time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, parents both worked. So would come home after school, latchkey kid. I would watch, like, hours of sitcoms, like, memorize comedy albums. Um, we were really religious households. So <clears throat> comedy albums were verboten. So, um, you know, I had when my parents would leave... I would like I had like um, downstairs in the basement I had like a George Carlin album hidden in the ceiling tile, um, and you know I think when Eddie Murphy's album came out I was raw. a little bit older raw um, yeah so all that stuff was Raw's first album or was that Delirious might have been Delirious his first in the raw but yeah so well, I had I had those they had like Seven Dirty Words at Richard Pryor. And so I would, like, listen to those incessantly when no one was home and then just kind of memorize those. Like, I had, like, my brother and I would go on trips and we would sit in the back and he would go, like, do Bill Cosby track three. And I would be like, women! Um, (laughs) You know, I'd be like a seven-year-old kid, like, you know, seven-year-old white boy imitating Bill Cosby on a road trip through Death Valley. That was... It was before, like, you know, there wasn't any radio (laughs) to speak of in a station wagon. I think it had long died. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I kind of, I did a lot of, I couldn't really, like, I didn't settle down. Um, I did a lot of, like, hitchhiking once you, like, turned 17. Ooh. Um, it's kind of <clears throat> out of the house, on and off, but fairly early out of the house, <laughs> and then permanently out of the house, like, a few years after that, just kind of bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Um, went to college for, like, six months. Dropped out. I became a wedding DJ for like uh, two and a half years, and I just did like weddings all over Michigan, Chicago, and Detroit. You are the second DJ I've had on the show. Really? Who's mm-hmm. the other DJ? Uh, my friend Tom. Oh, okay. Andrew. Yeah, he he he's not a DJ in the sense that he does shows. He just like does like the music part of it. He does a lot of mashups. Okay. Yeah, and he taught me about the DJ wheel, about like the different like keys and whatnot, how you can like go from one song to the other. And why I learned why DJs have headphones. Why I, do they? He said that he had you, you have the music going on, and that's why you see them like hold it like this with one on because they're listening to the song they're fading in. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I didn't know that. I thought I know. I thought it was just a douchey thing, and I'm sure everyone <laughs> thought that. But just like yeah, I look cool with my headphones. I'm only wearing one of them. But like, there's actually like a lot going on. That's why um, 
we were at Babe's the other night, and Matthew was like, for like a week, he went during Gretchen's episode around that time. He uh, when we recorded it, he was obsessed with Everybody by Backstreet Boys. He would sing it nonstop, and so we were at Babe's, and I was like, hey, that's a that's a that's a good popular song. Has probably has a really good like key or whatever. Like I went, so I went up, and I'm like, hey, can you put this in? He's like, yeah, I got you, and I'm just like. Awesome. I would not have known that that was something. I thought it was like all pre-prepared nonsense, but like hearing the intricacies was super fun. So I'm assuming that's kind of what you did. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yes, it was like, it was for events. And so it'd be like a traveling rig. So you'd show up and you'd basically set up this thing with lights and everything else. And we used nothing. At that point, we were just using cassette tapes. So it was all like setting stuff up with cassette tapes and then (laughs) always having like three, four songs programmed. And then you do, you know, you do everything you do, like. Um, it's the garter toss. It's time for the bouquet throwing. It's you know, it's time for the dance. And uh, yeah, so it was strange. You, you know, because you kind of you got to see people in like a very special event in their lives. Um, but you know, it's like anything. Like with funerals too, funerals and weddings both. Um, they're dramas. They're tragedies. But if you don't know anybody, they're always comedies. <laughs> like. <laughs> I've never thought of that. Yeah, they are. I mean, weddings are really... Weddings and funerals both, they're like really screwed up, and there's just tons and tons of mistakes. Wait, 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 wait. People would have a DJ for a funeral? We wouldn't have a DJ for a funeral, but I'm saying in general of like... Oh my, I thought, I was like, you about to break some new ground for me. Oh, you've never been to Michigan, man. We have great funerals. (laughs) We have some wild funerals up there. Um, Yeah, but just in terms of like... Major life events when you're hiring people or you're just getting your family together for something major, you know, there's just all these like stupid mess ups that happen. And so, yeah, that was kind of so you would see that you would get hit on by like, you know, the bride's mother. It would, you know, somebody would get drunk and you would have to like and nobody else in the family is helping this person and they'd be fall down drunk. And you're like, let me get you some coffee and I got to queue up another song for the hokey pokey. But then I'm going to get back and we'll call an ambulance. (laughs) So, yeah. So did that for did that for two years. And uh, then I joined the Navy. Ooh, I'm learning so much. This is why I do this show. This is why I did this show originally was to like learn more about people. I'm I'm into this. You were in the Navy. How long were you in the Navy for? Uh, three years. Interesting. Three years. I served in uh, Portland and San Diego. Um, originally, I trained I trained in Chicago and then um, was stationed in Virginia Beach um, over at the SEAL base at Damneck, mm-hmm. which is just down the road from down the road from Virginia Beach. And so they had all these like spooky facilities that would say oceanographic research, and then they would have like you know lasers and guns and robots and five fences and then you'd see these really buff guys going in and out and so that was kind of where seal team like two and six started Mm -hmm. was run out of that base interesting yeah like when the holo the holo sama thing which was much much later of course than when i was there like that's that's the base those guys run out of Mm -hmm. um so real close to virginia beach so if you see like little tiny quiet guys and you're in virginia beach in the bar don't talk to them they will kill you (laughs) They can kill you. They can't. Well, so we'll tell you. I will tell you a quick story. Like, um, Damneck, Damneck is this little dinky ass space, but they have everything for the enlisted man, so that you don't go out and get beat up in town. <laughs> so you know, so there was an enlisted men's bar right by the beach, and so you could drink there and then go out in the beach and sit. And um, at the time, they had like uh, in the U.S. like the world's or the U.S.'s largest gun emplacements for the military. So they had these huge, huge beach guns. 
and they were mostly there for for training, kind of get you a sense of they, they probably just didn't have any other place to put them. So yeah, so that part of Virginia, you know, down from Virginia Beach, there's these massive, massive guns. Just on know, the beach? On the beach. So you public could, beach or um no, it's the yeah, base. So you know that base was that base was like secure, so you couldn't get on that part of the beach. Mm-hmm. But you know the seals came out of there, and at the time in the eighties, like. A lot of things that we know about the U.S. government and the capabilities, like they didn't really talk about that much. So we kind of knew that the seals existed, but you didn't really know where they were. And um, so we went to the Elizabeth's base. We get really loaded. We go sit under the guns, and we're talking. And then uh, we don't notice that a bunch of people are coming out out of the surf, <laughs> and then going around the gun emplacements behind us. And then all of a sudden, I have a knife in my throat. And the guy's like, what's your social security number, shithead? And I'm like, <laughs> I am way too drunk to tell you. And, uh, yeah, and it was SEALs. And they were like, sorry, dudes, we're just practicing. And then they just got back in the water and swam away. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that also happened again on board ship. Like, those guys always have a good time. <laughs> just, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my. That's... Yeah, they they do shit like that too, where they they'll they'll board like they'll board like a friendly naval vessel and they'll just try to like take over the vessel like really quietly. Oh my gosh! And they practice on live people. It's awesome. I'm sure they succeed. <laughs> they do. Yeah, they do. We're all a bunch of sissies in the navy. We're basically, just like you know, desk jockeys. You're 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 riding a desk on the waves. That's all you're really doing. So, oh my gosh! Yeah. So I w- I served on board the USS Okinawa, which was a carrier. Mm. Um, which is a marine carrier. So we had like 500 sailors on board and then like 2,000 Marines. My uh, my stepdad was a Marine. Oh, was he really? For 20 years. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I don't think y'all would have ever crossed Paso. I don't think he was ever in VA Beach. Yeah, probably probably a different period. He, um, yeah, my father my, my father was a Marine. Um, he served in... Uh, let's You're- see. He worked, in, he worked in boot camp and then uh, boot camp in Chicago at... Uh, Navy Pier back when mm-hmm. it was an actual Navy Pier, and then uh, and then he served in um, served in the South Pacific during World War Two. You're in your 30s or 40s? Thank you. Um, I'm 51. 51. I'll be turning 52. I was like, I was gonna, my guess was 40s, but I was like, I'm probably wrong. But okay, never would have guessed. I hide so, yeah, it well. Y'all, y'all I, definitely wouldn't have crossed paths. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I was very. Uh, um, yeah, so that, yeah, so he, yeah, so he was in his, uh, yeah, I think he enlisted when he was like 18, like back in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, did the Navy thing and then, uh, so, so y- is that why you're in Richmond? Cause you were there? No, nothing to do with it. That was like just a different, that was just like a different lifetime ago. How did you get to Richmond? Um, we're probably skipping over a bunch, but like, we're probably skipping over a bunch. We can get back to other creative pursuits. Um, how did I get to Richmond? You, you take this where you want it to go. <laughs> I'm, am I driving, Jonathan? I always say, don't try to host because I'll let you. Okay, but like, I also just want to like, I, I don't, I don't know enough to like pinpoint like the one story that I had. We we we've flossed through, so like, yeah, definitely. Uh, I want to hear about you. Um, well, let's see. Um. And we can we could go around to Richmond. I well yeah. So we'll 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 go back around to Richmond. Basically, like in a nutshell, for you can just like gloss over to get other, other creative. So other creative stuff I did was after after the Navy. The Navy was kind of a bust for me. Mm-hmm. And um, after the Navy, it was like what I really wanted to do, but like I'd had 
I'm just finding out now that like I have um, I've been diagnosed with adult uh, attention deficit disorder. Mm. And um, like I've been filling out, like taking these tests and like the small little questionnaires and then the larger ones. And I keep laughing during them and they'll stop and say, why are you laughing? And I'm like, this is all normal. Like all these things you're telling me to say five on, like this sounds totally normal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they're kind of like, well, you're you're compensating for, you know, and I kind of agree. Like I've, you know, there's always been a point where like I'm intelligent, I can read, I can do stuff. But like then I have trouble finishing things, I have trouble focusing. And so... I put a lot of time into like, you know, my phone is full of appointments. It's full of like reminders. It's like I'm constantly documenting what I need to do so that, you know. And you, just, you sound like me. I don't know if I've shown you this, but I'm going to contextualize this for you. Mm-hmm. I have a thing that tracks my location so I know everything that I'm doing. And I have this all the way back. Like, Ooh, what's that called? Life cycle. Life cycle. You do, you, it does, you do it, it does it by GPS. Uh-huh. And then you just like fill in what it is. So like I can tell you last month for uh, May, I spent 46 hours doing improv. Wow. Or like 215 hours sleeping. And even better, for 2017, I spent uh, 109 hours doing improv. See, I don't remember anything, so it would be really nice to have my phone tell me what I've been up to. Mm-hmm. Okay. You also saw like when I was like, looking at the day, like there's a big question mark. That was when I got lunch. But I, had uh-huh. been to, I was at a new spot, so like... I gotta fill that in. Yeah, I love I love tracking that, and like I have like, I had to buy recently because I guess because of all like the improv and stuff. Like I had to buy a, like, a planner to like write all my shit down because I got to the point where I couldn't remember all the things I had to do that week. <clears throat> so I I resonate hard with everything you just yeah, said. Yeah, it's you know it's uh, yeah. If I if I wouldn't if I wouldn't track anything like um, yeah, I can get easily easily overwhelmed if I'm like working on something. And then somebody comes up and interrupts me like I'm, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very like I keep my door closed a lot at work. Like if I'm working in the kitchen, my wife knows not to come in till I'm done because otherwise I'll be like, stop moving the carrots. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So it's kind of. Um, so, yeah, I, I've just been kind of kicking around. And so I made another attempt to like I really wanted to finish college. And uh, I made another attempt to go to college. And then. um almost immediately ran across like a group of really creative people. And so um, we worked to found like uh, a radio station. I worked with, uh, I worked with um, a group of people to found that. And then I founded a humor magazine, um, which is the first one on campus. And we had the first like student run radio station, um, started working with a school newspaper. So then at that point, then I was doing all these social things and working with actors on radio drama and started like also working at the regular radio station for the campus. It was a you have a PB or a public radio and NPR affiliated station too, mm-hmm. um, so learned how to do tape editing. So I was doing all these other like extracurricular creative activities, and then you know still couldn't be organized enough to sort of finish, um, you know, finish studies. So I was just kind of keeping keeping my head above water and doing okay. And then um, we went for we went for a Christmas break, and the campus was getting a ton of. Um, Amway money from the Amway Corporation, which is a pyramid scheme. And they're based out of they're based out of Michigan, and like Betsy DeVos, who's like the education secretary that everybody hates. Mm-hmm. It's in the news in the Trump. She's a, she's a DeVos, um, and she's related to like the Amway fortune. Oh. So Amway was pouring money into this little liberal arts college, and they were suddenly exploding. And so we took kind of a position to that, and we're saying like, 
you know, as a shitty campus humor magazine, like, let's just declare war on a larger university and claim we're going to take it over and get all their stuff so that we don't have to wait to build more stuff and we're just going to become the most powerful university in Michigan and we're just going to invade all the others. So we wrote a formal declaration of war in the na- in the president's name of the university, Aaron Lubbers. <laughs> I bet he loved that. And then it was like, you know, it's midnight during, during Christmas break, so not everybody's around. We're probably like a little high or on cough syrup or something. And so, like, let's <laughs> sign his name. So we forge his signature. <laughs> Because, you know, yeah. we're in the library, so you can look it up. Yeah. So he forged his signature and wrote up this declaration of war and then, you know, basically printed it and put it on the copy for the magazine and got ready to f- take the magazine to press. And um, and so then I had, like, a wild hair at that point. So I was like, well, I'm mailing this. And so I send it to Western Michigan University, which is in Kalamazoo, and send a formal declaration of war. And so we publish. And, uh, and this is, like I said, during break. So the stuff like goes out during break and basically sits for the students to come back. Um, at some point I went out to Western Michigan university, went to the president's office and we just said, you know, the grand Valley delegation is here to accept your surrender. <laughs> and you del- actually did. We that. did. Oh my goodness. We did. And he said, we'd get back to us <laughs> after they'd done a military, a military strength assessment. And um, we said, sure, you know, we'll, we'll be back. Um, we'll have the ceremony where you surrender and, uh, and go to prison. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it, was all, so it was all fun and games with, like, the administration. Our administration, like, laughed at it. And, you know, and that, that's the thing. You sort of, like, back then, you know, comedy was sort of seen as this, like, rebellious thing that you were pushing against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like you guys don't really have that. And mm. I'm very <clears throat> envious about that. Like, really? it's just, yeah. Yeah, because it's always like, you know, when I do improv, like, if my mind goes blank, the thing that my mind will return with first that I have to reject is, like, shock humor. Mm-hmm. And it's like the shock humor that I have stored up here is shock humor from, like, the 80s of saying something taboo. And it's like, there's not taboos anymore. Taboos have changed to just being um, kind. There are things now that you don't say because you want to be kind. Mm-hmm. And back then, things you didn't say was because you were being oppressed. So it was important to say those. So, like, if you listen to Lenny Bruce, like, Lenny Bruce is either boring or offensive. At the time, he wasn't. But, like, you listen to him now, and it's kind of like... So, yeah. So it was kind of basically, like, we filed that declaration or we published, and then um, the student senate convened. And uh, they took away our funding. And so that basically like, and so it was the first time where I was sort of like, hey, I'm doing all this creative work. I'm working with radio. I'm working with theater. I'm writing. Like, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. I'm making people laugh. I'm getting like a lot of like compliments back. Like a lot of other people are able to do this too. You know, so it was kind of like a group like the coalition. It's a group of people that wanted to be creative, wanted to be funny. And then, and then the people that you thought were going to oppose you, which was the administration, didn't they were happy that somebody was sort of engaging but then your own students who were all in greek you know not to break bad on the greeks but i'm gonna break bad on the greeks mm-hmm. you know so they <laughs> sorry dan yeah so sorry dan <laughs> exactly he's a, he's a proud he's a greek i like <laughs> it's taken me 30 years to find one but i like that guy <laughs> so yeah so it was just it was just uh it was just the people that like 
just thought like what are what is the rest of what is everybody else going to think of Grand Valley um, for this horrible prank and so uh, yeah so they took away our funding like the money for publishing completely vanished and so now we don't you know now we don't have the money to publish so I would be walking down the hallway and a professor would pass me and there would be an envelope in my hand or there would be an envelope in my mail slot and it would be full of cash um, so yeah, we just started getting money. Somebody like, um, I basically, somebody called the UPI newswires. It might've been me, but it <laughs> became a UPI news story and it got onto the newswire. It's all pre-internet stuff. Um, and so then we got like, we got a few checks from people like we got checks from lawyers usually that were like, your stunt was stupid. And it was pretty unfunny. It was sophomoric. And we think like, you know, that's part of free speech. So here's 500 bucks to publish. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we got we got cash. And so we just continued and basically just went after the student senate harder. Our yes. circulation went up through the roof. Um, and like any project we work on just got like a lot more interest. So it really helped us. And then at the end of the year, we formed a political party two days before the election and then blanketed the campus with the names of the political party slots. And um, we took over the student senate. Oh um, my god! Yeah, and then I had a nervous breakdown, <laughs> <laughs> literally. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, it was just, uh, there was some, and then um, there was some rough stuff in my family that my father passed like right at the end of the semester, and so yeah, and so I dropped out. And uh, but it had had like a tremendous experience, but it also come away with that of like doing things that you love is hard. Because, and this is not a good lesson to take away, but it was like doing things you think you love that are creative is hard and someone will try to stop you. But that's true. It is true. It is very true. And people will, people will try to edit you. And I think like out of self-protection, I like left the area. I moved to Chicago. I got into like technology. It was a good time to do that because you didn't need a degree. Um... And so I started working for advertising agencies and in the Fortune 100, you know, and was able to do some consulting on the side. And so, yeah, I was able to kind of build a life there, but also Second City and the I.O. was like, I was in, I was in Lakeview in the I.O.'s neighborhood. And so I would go to see shows and that's where you fell in love with improv was going to the I.O. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like every, every Monday you'd go see like uh, the Armando show was like all the heavy hitters. So. Ooh. Tina Fey and Kevin Dorff. Wait, you saw like the OGs there when they were still like doing improv? Yeah, so like um, back, yeah, so they were, they were in a, like if you go there now, they're in a different space on Kingsbury, but they were by the, they were by Wrigley Field. And so you go up on stage and you'd see like inside Vladimir, which is Amy Poehler's team. And then I think Fey, yeah, Fey was on there with Poehler. You'd see members of the Upstart Citizens Brigade. Dell, Dell was still teaching. Um, you know, Charna was there, of course, and still is there. Um, but yeah, so you'd see you'd see all those guys. Scott Astit, who went on to do Moral Oral, who was like one of my favorites. Um, but a lot of those guys, like at that time, it was sort of it had gone from like this sort of rebel, crazy weirdo people, and then and then basically then it was the next wave, and that wave in the '90s was basically like all those people in that room at the time that were on stage. They all pretty much became writers or comedians. Like that was then Tina Fey spins out like a year later and heads out to SNL. Um, 
God, who are some of the others? Brian Stack ended up working for Conan for years. Like mm-hmm. all those guys like kind of left there and went to be writers and they kind of were like previously there had you know, there was no reason to do improv. Mm-hmm. Like when Dave Pasqua Dave Pasquese said, like, we were all delinquents. And there was no, he said, you know, the reason we were there was because we just didn't have any other options. And like, we weren't interested in doing anything else and we didn't have any goal. And then that, that next wave of people, Rachel Dratch also there, they all went. And, um, and so then this establishes the pattern in Chicago thereafter where, you know, this is the training, you know, you need to train in comedy. You want to have a, you want to have a career, then you go there. And so that's probably like mid 90s early 90s that's when that pattern sort of gets established and so then it follows like wave after wave and more comedy theaters open up mm-hmm. so i just want to go back because i yeah. don't want to interrupt but like <clears throat> what, what was the school that you were at uh grand valley state university you have to be a legend there you have people <laughs> have to be telling your story gets told at least once a semester i uh, yeah, my no. There's no that. That sounds. First of all, it sounds made up. It sounds like an, a, a '90s. The, movie. There was a Wikipedia entry for Grand Valley State, which is I think was controversy. The name of the magazine was The Harpoon, um, since it was a a lake theme. So we had our football mascot was a Laker, which I guess is a guy with a cap and a beard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so the Harpoon was, the Harpoon was the magazine. I want, if any, if I don't get to it first, anyone who listens, we need to get this, this is a source now for that. We can get that on Wikipedia and the producers <laughs> can be a source. Like we can make something out of this. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, do it for sure. Please don't. I've been in therapy since 1990. <laughs> I, uh, I was born in '91. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I was uh, getting my first re- First Amendment rights uh, violated when you were learning to poop. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, no, I- Bridging the generational gap, the producers. <laughs> no, but uh, gosh, I, I just—that's the kind of thing. Those are things like people want to do but never do, and just like. I don't know. My, my college experience was so boring. It was like I was a, I worked full time. I was like it was a commuter college, so I just drove and drove off. That yeah, was this it. was this was a commuter college too. But I made the decision to move on campus, and um, <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know. It was yeah. I don't regret it. It was uh, no. it was it was a really fun period. Really fun period of your life. I mean, the thing is, is like I think looking back, all I can say is like. You know, this is going to sound like just old man bullshit, but, um, you know, you have these experiences, like you say, like the WJJG thing, or and then you just sort of focus on, God, the commute, or God, this, like, student senate people are so shitty, and it's like, these are great periods, and they all end. Mm-hmm. They all end. And so, you know, if you're in, if you're in, like, a sweet spot where you're creating work, like, just keep creating it for as long as you can until you like bleed it dry and then maybe take a break but you know that stuff ends and you kind of you kind of miss like coming back to it like that's you know this has been kind of like a new section of my life like with the coalition where it's like oh i'm able to get on stage like you know and all i really have to do to prep is like be ready 10 seconds before to run on and so it's a great it's a great sort of like you know head rush it, it is, and there's just so much more great about it. But just like, yeah, kind of like, for me, <clears throat> there's that quote in the office, like, 
you, you never know you're in the good times until they're over. Yeah. I feel like with this, I realized very early, like, I'm in the good times, and I need to invest in this. So, like, do as much as I can. Like, take classes. Like, teach. Like, do this. Do yeah. that. Be on teams and just, like, do, like, the live show. And, like, yeah. so, yeah. it's When been... it comes to opportunity, like, be a pig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. be a pig, like whatever it is, just don't don't hold back if you love it. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, because yeah, that's you don't have the regrets about that, but yeah, it's like during those times, I wish I wish I would have just you know, this is unique stuff that you're doing, and this is stuff you love. Because um, you know, after after that sort of experience, like I kind of moved away from like creative work, and I and I like was totally scared, so I never took I took one class at the I O. And then, uh, but was too nervous to invest in improv. And so instead, the opposite was I just told myself, like, oh, you have stage fright. Oh, you can't, you know, you can't think that fast. And and so my training at the coalition was, like, trying to get over my own programming mm-hmm. of, like, you have stage fright. You know what? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, I picked up Josh Wright over my head yesterday and almost oh my threw my gosh. back out. And I, that's stupid, but I didn't have stage fright. <laughs> Like, was, I was like, my back could go. And the thing was, is like, I picked up Josh. I carried him. I think this is a horrible mistake. And my back is going to go out. And, you know, people will then know that I am 51 and not 40. <laughs> and and then Michelle, Michelle, like, <laughs> Michelle, like, reaches out and just picks up Josh and carries him away. And I'm like, okay, that was embarrassing, but also awesome. He's a tough person. So, so I was at the bar. I was like uh-huh. over there, and uh, I saw you trying to pick him up, and his like, shoe got caught on the stage, and I thought you guys were going down for sure. Then you picked him up, and I'm like, I love this so much. And then just seeing her face, like, I am do- I'm just going to go. She just, like, didn't hesitate. She's like, I'm going to go grab him. And then, like, there's a picture. Laura took a picture of her holding him by the neck <laughs> because he was falling. Oh, my gosh. Your set was so fun. There's there's also an animated GIF now of that whole process. Josh made that last night, so I'll share that after the show. <laughs> well, so share it with me so when I do upload to Instagram, I'll put a picture of us, and then I'll put that on there so okay. you can see it. Yeah. I would love to put that on. Yeah, That was so much fun. You guys have a lot of fun on stage. I think that's something that, um, you know, I, we always preach, but, like, man, sometimes you forget. I Yeah, I guess. I You know, so... You know, let me. Can I say something controversial? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it is controversial, but <clears throat> to find out. So, well, so the so the advice that I hear a lot is like, make sure you're having fun. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's that's the byproduct. Like, I can't consciously have fun. Sure. Like, I'm in a place where I'm probably going to have fun because it's what I love. But like, you know, sort of like looking around and like asking the question, am I having fun or not? Um, the reason, like, I think, like, Brave Ragu, I love that team. We have a lot of fun, you know, but we trained, we trained from, like, October through December before Jake Jim just sort of had the talk of, like, okay, now go perform. But for three months, we, like, all worked in a direction that we all agreed on, and we all kind of, like, agreed at least with, like, the primary thing that we wanted to do we agreed on that. Everybody has their different styles, but we're all kind of pushing in like an emotional direction. And we're also doing like simple scene work, simple openers, no complexity from formats. Like we're trying to get at like, you know, trying to do funny stuff, but we're trying to get at the meat of like relationships and emotions and seeing that stuff. And like, once you start practicing that and then you're kind of like, yeah, that's where all the funny shit is. 
and it's just the only thing the only thing is is you just detach from your ego because it's not about you saying something witty like most of the stuff that you get laughs out is just like i don't even know where that came from you know josh got a big laugh the other day from going show us your dorm room <laughs> and, and the audience went nuts but it was all context like yeah. right so it's just like it's the placement it's it's the two or three line, two or three second lines that happened before that, and then he just added that. He had no idea what was going to happen. Also, can we just say that Josh Wright is a genius? Oh, Josh Wright is amazing. He is a he is a human Swiss Army knife. He um, is incredible. He, he had just every time he's on stage, it's just like just watch because you don't know. Even off stage, you don't know what he's going to do, and it's always always choice. Yeah, only you know is you always like yeah. He's also just good at. I th- he basically went after like every team he was on. So first, the first one was basically like just sucker punching Pete from the whole f- for, mm-hmm. for like the Murder Beach set, and then uh, and then like yeah, I think I think for I don't I don't remember what he did for the Ensign set, he, but then he went after <clears throat> me during the Brave Ragu set, or at least he was going after Ian, and that kind of bled over into like the last scene we did. Um, so yeah, he just enjoys he enjoys screwing with people. He enjoys throwing curveballs, but like, um, yeah, he's like he's first on stage. If there's a gap, like he's in the gap, like he's just really super quick. He's like uh, he's just so much fun to play with, and also just like a really he's a really nice guy off stage. So just like mm-hmm. you know, for our team dynamics, like it's um, you know, but everybody everybody like that we all get along really well. All very different, but like you know, it's just like. Yeah, I just love I love the brave ragu as like a team. This has been really a fun process. So, other than what we've covered, what's what's something? Because I feel like you've gotten you've gotten into a lot. So uh-huh. around the time you were in Chicago, took your improv class, and now it's gonna be like what forty years. So like, what else is in there? <laughs> it's too easy. But like it's it's got to be forty years. I'm not seventy. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know uh, anything. What, so what was the uh, so um, what was between Chicago and here? I guess. I um, so I lived in Chicago for 13 years. Um, I love that city. It's still kind of like a hometown to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always I, that, that's always a place that I'm like I'll go there one day because like Gaskell moved there and like Adrian's going there and I know a lot of people who are there and like I visited once. It just seems like a really cool place to be. Oh, it's a fantastic place to be. Um, <clears throat> I grew up along the lake, so I think there's mm-hmm. also. You know, there it. You know, being along Lake Michigan was also kind of like being home for me, mm-hmm. and just the smell and the feel of it. <laughs> um, you know, so but yeah, I lived there. I lived there for yeah, um, thirteen years, and worked in advertising, and um, yeah, did a lot of biking. Um, I destroyed my right shoulder in Chicago. Ooh, a bicycle accident. Um, literally in front of Second City, I broke my humerus. It never gets enough laughs. Um, yeah, I didn't want to laugh at that. You can laugh like, at that. I've been trying to get people to laugh at it for a long time, but yeah, I, I fractured my shoulder in 32 places. Um, so they had to take. There's got to be a, a connection between 32 and Second City. There's got to be. There's got to be. But yeah, so is it, it was in North and Wells, and like somebody ran in front of me and then backed up into my bike, and it was doing about 25 miles an hour, and so it went over the head, went over the handlebars, and just landed, landed right on your shoulder. Landed right on the shoulder. And went, so yeah, so I have a metal plate from like here on down right there. Oh, so can you do that? You can see the difference. Oh yeah, that is. I am raising my hands over my head. It's about audience. six inches. Yeah, yeah. There's a. It was two. Then this was two years of physical therapy. Oh wow. Yeah. I'm sure it was like this. 
It was like this, oh, and then two more surgeries to like, get the get the scar tissue off to get the mobilization up here. So was, yeah, so that's why it doesn't. I always wonder if people notice if I ever like move never, my arms or stuff. Noticed. Yeah, I figure people don't, but you're right. <laughs> sort of, I've always been conscious of it. And I'm also right-handed, so I've had to like kind of adjust with my left to do other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So eventually, um, so I finished my degree. I went back to school, and uh, this time I went to a liberal arts college in uh, Montpelier, Vermont, and it was a roll your own. So, what? well, so basically like, uh, is before, you know, it was before, uh, you know, whatever online learning. So basically what you do is like, you could get, you could get like a, you know, bachelor of fine arts there. And so you would design your, you design your own program and then you'd pitch to a professor and say like for six months, I'm going to study like, uh, I'm going to study Charles Darwin, evolution versus intelligent design and try to understand the arguments behind intelligent design and sort of see what's the origin of that movement and how do they balance? Are they comparable ideas and philosophies or is one bullshit? And so for six months, you, you do that. Um, and then there was a writing component. So you basically like you'd get for six months, 30 books, and then you'd have a goal of writing like about 300, 300 pages. And so for six months, you'd write and read, and then you'd correspond with your professor. And at the end, you'd return back to Vermont, and you'd defend your six months of work. 300 pages? Yeah, per semester. <clears throat> yeah, cow. so it was, just, it was just a lot of like, yeah, but it was a, every book you'd read, instead of like, you know, this book is about, like, you'd just reflect. And so you'd write like, you know, you'd write like 10, 10, 12 pages per book and sort of reflect on what it meant to you and what resonated and what it made you think of if you disagreed with it. Um, I also didn't read any books in college, so. You don't watch movies and read books. Um, when we do like when you do like the five year anniversary where we interview you and dig into your psyche, we're going to get to that stuff. I've already been on. I've already been a guest twice. I think I need because Tom's a great host, but I think I need someone who will ask the tough questions. Okay, I'll do that. We'll get to the movie thing. The movie thing is problematic for me. We can do that now. We can come back to it. <laughs> I don't think you have a good answer for why you <laughs> haven't seen The Godfather. <laughs> I've seen The Godfather 1. Okay. I haven't seen number 2 or number 3. The thing the thing was, the reason I was waiting on watching The Godfather was because I was going to watch it with my mom. Okay. Because, you know, we're an Italian family. We're going to get some cannolis and watch The Godfather. Oh, okay. But um, Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's just hard to get time to do stuff like that. I don't know. I, I went and saw a movie last week. I saw Solo. Great movie. I really enjoyed it. I enjoy watching movies. But sitting there for two to three hours, it's just like there's so much other shit I could be doing. And realistically, sure. like playing video games, just engaging. I can't, I can't just like turn my brain off and like be in this movie. Like it's so difficult for me to like do that. Well, yeah, you know that. I w well, I was thinking about after we had that conversation about about films when we were doing the testing for the for the podcast at the theater. Um, a buddy of mine used to like say, you know, you read so many books, and they like, you know, why don't I read these books? And which ones have you read? And it's like, I think that's sort of like, you know, movies or books or comic books. Like, there's all these different cultural yardsticks, but people think like, you know, to be culturally educated like I need to watch film or to be like you know I need to like read these certain American books and that's all bullcrap I mean I think 
you know, whatever resonates with you is what you need to dive into. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what's sort of giving you the clue of where to go kind of further into figuring, figuring yourself out and like what, you know, what resonates, you know, because if you've ever like loaned books or movies to people, you're always disappointed. It's like, did you read that yet? And like, like, it's on my nightstand. (laughs) Um, I watched the first five minutes of the Godfather look cool, you know, but then, but then in your life, like if there's a certain things, like I worked at one place in Chicago where like my boss and another manager and I communicated in, all quotes from the Godfather. So it was like, you know, I was just like, uh, yeah, he sleeps with the fishes. Okay. (laughs) You know, I was like, never more information than that. And you just kind of, I knew, I knew what they wanted (laughs) just by saying like that stuff. And it also kind of makes you feel like a tough guy talking uh, to mob crap. I think that with, uh, with that stuff, it's just like, I also coming up through like around high school time, Uh uh-huh, my, my mom married the Marine, so okay. like, I moved around a lot, and I never wanted to experience those things alone. Like, I never wanted to watch, like, a really important big movie by myself. Ah. And so, you know, how, like, I guess it just never, it never occurred to me, like, doing it with your family, because, like, my mom's not big into movies either. She was never like, you have to watch, like, The Godfather was, like, the epitome of you need to watch this movie this is an important family event mm-hmm. and so you shouldn't yeah. take it lightly and so you the put import- that aside the important family event was like every Easter we have to watch The Wizard of Oz and I hate that movie because I've watched it so many ah. times and it freaked me out as a kid so you're not really rebelling against movies you're, no. being, you're rebelling <laughs> against you're being rebelling against being, being told what's relevant no I is that may, maybe like I do, I, I it's not a badge of pride as much as it is just honestly, it's kind of a badge of shame because of how important it is to the people who are in my life now. Like, like Matthew, we were driving and he's like, you know, like yesterday, he's like, you never heard of Danzig? And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. And then he put the song on and I'm just like, this is a really great song. These drums are incredible. I love this. Yeah. I added it to my, my playlist. I'm just like, it's not that I don't, it's just I don't, ex- not, not many people expose themselves to new things. And that's something that's been a thing for me. It's like, again, moving around so much and like trying to like, already trying so many new things. Like I, I keep the things close to me the same. So I have some sort of stability and normality. Right. I can so, relate to that. Yeah. You're trying to get order for a mm-hmm. semi-chaotic sort of growing up. I mean, this is like really getting deep and probably not relevant. Like just fucking watch the movie, dumbass. Like it's. Go watch Caddyshack. It's hilarious. I haven't seen that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could make up a list of movies you haven't seen and probably be totally accurate. I, I, th- oh. I think I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> you named like 13 movies when we were doing the testing, and it was just like... Again. But, you know, but again, like, you know, it's, it's irrelevant. It's like what resonates for you. And, like, yeah. those, those things resonate for personal reasons. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mob... Like, mob history was sort of my connection to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like, that was sort of my way in of, like, fascinated by these figures. Like, there were still some of these guys walking around, like, you'd run into. So, you know, that that stuff was very a real way to do that. And then I, like, you know, asked some historians in Richmond, like, so who were the mob figures? And, like, they didn't have a mob here. And I was like, oh, I don't want to learn about Confederate guys. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm – so the – um. Yeah, so as far as I finished my, I did like six semesters at Vermont, and so it was just basically, basically going through these six semesters, and like, 
um, defending my previous work from the previous six months and then picking another 30 books and then write another 300 pages and loads of correspondence with the professor. And then, um, and then I think for my final paper, um, and so it was like, basically I was doing creative nonfiction, creative fiction, um, kind of a mixture of both and kind of like studying like especially authors like John McPhee for The New Yorker, like these guys that did research but then would take it and craft it. So they were making really like beautiful prose and maybe even a little bit kind of like elements that you'd find in fiction that were more kind of sensory, like so descriptions, things like that, you kind of flower it up a little bit. So it's like it's the stuff that The New Yorkers, that's their kind of, that's their kind of sweet spot. Um, so I'd kind of work on that stuff. And then um, my final project was, I think, one of the most important things I've ever done creatively. Hmm. Um, I was wondering where you were going with this. Well, yeah. So the thing, yeah, because you were saying like things that resonate. Like, um, so my brother has, my brother had schizophrenia, um, severe. And uh, it happened when he was in law school. He started to hear voices. And we're, um, all my siblings and I are like fairly distant in a part in terms of age and so there's like a 13 year gap between he and i and so I looked up to him he went to college he's a national merit scholar he had a free ride to like law school and then he heard voices he returned home and uh and during that period in like the 1970s like they didn't really know how to treat it and so he probably attempted suicide like several dozen times and it was very out of control. He disappeared once and wound up in the Fiji Islands. Whoa. Where he was in a car wreck. He drove a car off a cliff. Wow. Um, and then walked through the jungle and then caught into a bar fight <laughs> <laughs> with pool cues. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, and then, and then he would return home and he worked at the local grocery store. But, like, he had this... So, you know, but he could, he could, uh, he could read Greek. He could speak Latin. Um, and so he had this tremendous intellectual side, but then also like the illness side, like he grappled with for a long, long time. And um, so, yeah, so I was trying to find a new project and I had been like collecting like things on World's Fairs and uh, was sort of fascinated by U.S. World's Fairs and like old World's Fairs sites. There were two in Chicago. And uh, so I started looking into that and I started writing about it. And um, the professor who's has written like four or five books of history now. He's a real good friend in New York. Um, he just said, why are you writing about World's Fairs? And so we kind of went back and forth. And he's like, why does your brother keep showing up in the narrative? <laughs> and, um, and so basically it became like, World's Fairs are sort of an American promise, right? They're mm-hmm. like, this is our technology. This is where we're going. This is also the future. This is the flying cars. Like, those ideas of American optimism, like they come out of the fair, like the 1893 exposition, like uh, in Chicago, like that's at the that's at the stage for electricity in every home that set the stage for um, basically like the city center, um, the architecture of a city center, like with the columns and everything else and the sort of classical architecture that you're, you know, well, like the capital behind me has. Um, all that stuff, like all these ideas flow out of the fair. And then after the fair is over in four years, like there's all this promise, there's all what it means to be an American, what it means to like for technology for the future. And then the fair site falls into disrepair. And it may be repurposed or it may not. Um, 
it may fall into ruin, it may be forgotten, or it may be reused. But, you know, for me, looking at my brother through this lens of like, I'm going to do what he does. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to have this traditional life. I'm going to aspire to be what he is. And then he lost all of that. And so it was sort of like grappling with that. And so, yeah, I think that to me was like the first time of sort of seeing creative work as also not therapeutic and not, not in any way sort of like therapeutic, but like pursuing those things to kind of get, get it like your core without just like talking about it. You know what I mean? So it was like by examining the fairs, like that was a way to look at my relationship with my brother and my thoughts about my brother and also like a sense of loss and also, you know, because what you also find is like if you go to, you know, if you go to New York and Flushing Meadow, like that was a 63 site. That is a perfectly wonderful park. <laughs> um, it's also where the state of Israel was created, where the U.N. sat like uh, after the, you know, basically before the fair, after the first fair that was there, they created the U.N. Like there's a bunch of stuff there. But, you know, I think previously I just like, oh, you know, that site like was all full of promise and it turned out to be bullshit. And like, you know, the place is in disrepair and abandoned. Um, and so, yeah, looking at the World Series was a way to sort of grapple with those family issues in a way I had been and unable to talk about it. But writing just about the fair, you know, kind of did that. So that was my final project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was just kind of like that was just like graduating from school and kind of tackling that idea. And, you know, I traveled all over the U.S. and would just kind of either fly or drive and go all of these sites all over the United States and just kind of take pictures of where the sites had been. Um, so Spokane, New York, Chicago. Um, yeah. And I don't know. That was, uh, I just felt compelled to tell that. But that was, you know, yeah. that was like a creative, that was like something where I finally kind of got back to, oh, maybe don't people don't try to kick your ass when you do things creatively. And like, it can tap into something that you've been previously unable to really grapple with. Sure. Would you say that that's any kind of inspiration for you now? It's always an inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's more of a, I think it's an inspiration in the terms of, you know, you're going to take something back for yourself. Maybe it's not something I can share with anybody, but like you're going to get something like that's, you know, to, to talk a little bit of bull, you know, Jungian bullshit. Like that's the hero's journey. Like that's, you know, I heard another another guy I studied with at Vermont College was like, you know, people talk about the hero's journey or going on the adventure. Like for most of us, what that means is closing the door and getting the pencil out. Like that, that is the stuff. Like it's not so much like the hitchhiking and the crazy wild stories. Like you have that in your twenties. And, you know, those are, those are valid, interesting things of breaking the rules and testing the boundaries. But, you know, you want to find things about, not about like what creative things do you like? I'm going to dive the hell into them. And you're probably going to kind of uncover some things about yourself. So I think that's, that's the inspiration and the discovering that discovering that in Vermont was really, was really helpful. And then I met a lady from Richmond and she said, you should come down to Richmond. And I said, that sounds horrible. <laughs> and um, I heard it's hot. And uh, so I went down there and um, I was in a horrible, yeah, the plane The plane was like uh, 14 hours late. And I got here at like 4 o'clock in the morning. 
they drove me around Miami Avenue and I said like I'm not into this I gotta, I gotta go take a nap and she said well you can take a nap for two hours but when you wake up all my single girlfriends will be here and so she had invited all her single girlfriends that she knew in Richmond and I got to meet them all and it was horrible and terrifying and then I met this one Midwestern girl who is uh just said, I don't believe in religion. Do you believe in religion? And I'm like, not really. No, I'm more of an agnostic. And she's like, I read David Sedaris. Do you like David Sedaris? Do you think he's funny? Are you funny? And um, <laughs> yeah, so I got her business card and uh, I kind of hassled the the guy that she was with a little bit at the party. And then I just had like a correspondence with her for like uh, six months. And then uh, we met up in um, St. Louis when she was visiting her mom. I drove down from Chicago. And um yeah, I think we had our first date uh, like around Thanksgiving, and then um, just kind of kept in touch. And then eventually, um, I took uh, I took a job over in D.C., and then um, I came down and moved to Richmond. Like probably about four months after that, after right after the Obama inauguration, we both went to that. And then um, I moved to I moved to Richmond like a couple a couple months later and got a job. And so I've been here ever since. So it's been. It's been nine years. I miss Chicago, but um, yeah, I love it here. I think I finally, it's taken me a long time, but I think I finally kind of, I consider this place home. That's interesting. So you've been here for nine years? I've been here for nine years. Yeah, it would have been 2009. Interesting. Wow. It's, It's crazy just thinking about your journey and like looking at my own and like, I don't know, I'm the seeing the pressures of like settling down and like. Like, I don't know. You, like you said, you're like that's for your twenties, and I think about like what have I done in my twenties, and it's not much. You're involved with the theater. You're committed now with something, but like before, like college, it was just my twenties in college was just like I go to school, I go to work, I go home, I play video games for two hours, and I pass out. <laughs> I didn't drink till like a year ago. Hmm, a little over a year ago now, but like hmm. it's 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 crazy thinking about like. Yeah. Hearing your stories and like being inspired to make my own. It's different for everybody. I quit. I quit drinking in 1990. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Any particular reason? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got in trouble with the law a lot. Ooh. Um, yeah, I went to I went to jail a few times. Interesting. Um, yeah. the The only one that's sort of worth sharing is like. Uh, um, Grand Haven, Michigan is called Coast Guard City, USA. That's sort of one of their things in the summer. They have a Coast Guard festival. And so as part of that, there's like an eternal flame for the U.S. Coast Guard that's lit down by the front. And uh, I was pulled off the eternal flame trying to light a joint, and I resisted. And uh, I was taken to jail. So I've always been kind of happy with that because I always can imagine. Like, I remember just like, dude, dude, I'm not done yet. And they pulled me off. But yeah, I, we, you know, the reason it, the reason I became a DJ was like um, I was tired of working and not having free access to alcohol. So the DJ thing was a way to like drink at work. Yeah. Um, and so it was just kind of like, you know, I didn't have to spend any money on alcohol and usually I would leave a wedding reception with like a van full of beer um and then just yeah I mean well we had the equipment and then they'd like hey you guys like what are you guys gonna do with this beer I just load that load that up into the into the van and take that back too so (laughs) yeah it was you know it was just yeah I mean um I admire I admire really people your age because like it's just everybody seems to be 
everybody seems to like have the path thought out and I don't remember that. I think that I don't remember that for myself and I didn't remember that for a lot of my peers was like no one had really like put pressure on us to figure it out. And so everybody at that time generationally, like in your twenties, is just like, you know, flailing around. And I think it was good, but it probably would have been better to not. That's so funny because for me, I feel an immense pressure to have it figured out. Uh huh. And like I have none of it figured out. <laughs> I feel I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, some of it finds you. Yeah, I, I moved to Richmond on like a complete whim. I got a, I got my my car got towed and I was mad and I was like, "Fuck this city, I'm moving." Uh huh. And I moved here. What city? New Orleans. Oh, you were in New Orleans. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I lived there for five years. That's where I went to school, and then. Uh, Interesting. I graduated and I was like, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna stay here for a year. I'm gonna like work with kids with autism and like really put my sociology degree to work. Uh-huh. And then uh, I'm gonna go and uh, do something else after that. And then I did that job for two months and I'm like, I can't do this. This is not. I don't get paid enough. I don't have enough hours. Like this is not a job. And then I was going to a potluck and my car got towed on my block. And I was like, <laughs> I had to pay like four hundred dollars. Ugh. And I got back and I called my mom and I yelled at her. And she didn't do anything wrong. I was just like, I was just so mad. Right. And I was like, I'm moving. And like a month later, I was I was in uh, Fredericksburg where I was there for two months. And then I moved to Richmond. And you found your way here. You found your way to the theater. How, s- how soon did you find the theater after? Well, I, um, I went to Chipotle for about four months. And then I got into a relationship. And this was like, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the ones you listened to, but like, this was the woman I was like convinced, like I'm gonna marry this woman, like mm-hmm. this is it, and uh, that it turned out to be really bad. And then I went on a first date with the, this woman who proved to be emotionally abusive uh-huh. to the uh-huh. theater. We saw uh, one of the KGB shows. Okay. Oh, okay. And then I, I, I was also listening to Pete Holmes at the time. His uh, "You Made It Weird," mm-hmm. and he was talking about like meeting people and doing improv, and I like. You know, you can't do this, like, whatever, like, it's not an option. Then I got an email for classes, and something within me, I think after the six-month relationship, I was just, like, because, like, you know, I didn't have a, I I don't have an identity, like, I need to make one, doing the podcasting, music, trying to write comedy, and then finding improv, and I'm just, like, this is, like, really awesome, and then, boom, it's, like, exploded, like, I did 101, and then, like, during 201, we had, like, me and Matthew had refinery sets, and then during, during 301, I got on a house team, and then, like during five hundred one now, like I'm, I, I did like a poster show and like, gosh, doing the fest. Yeah, and when, yeah, and that's that's the kind of that's when you know you're on the right track, right? When you see, when you see this sort of blossoming of opportunities open up, mm-hmm. and it just becomes not easy, but like there's just you know suddenly like all the opportunities appear. I mean, I wish. You know, was, yeah, I have like I have work and like you know I have my wife and family and stuff to to kind of to kind of keep track of. But like yeah, there's so many opportunities of like great people to work with with ideas for shows and you know podcasts and stuff like that. Like right now, I have all I can do to like make two team practices. But yeah, it's like that. Well, and you know when you were when you were talking, I'm just thinking like you know if you add like 
we move forward in time 20 years and you're like, well, in New Orleans, I got towed and then I got on the road to Richmond. You have an origin story right there. Mm-hmm. Like right there. You, you've already got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's my story for yeah, a that's podcast your, I do in 20 years. Yeah, the podcast you do in the 20 years and there'll be like this, this guy sitting across from you that's like in his late 20s and be like, you've done so much, Mr. Dowie. Oh, my crazy. God. Yeah, that's just his perspective and like a little gray hair. And you're like, wow, you did a lot. Yeah. Like, no, I was drunk for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's my goal for the next year is just live it out and be really drunk. There you go. Yeah, well. <laughs> you got to do it, right? Work like for work for Kerouac. Work for Hunter Thompson. Yeah, didn't end well, but worked worked out well for a while. I think... Uh, I want to I want to talk to you about the the podcast the live show. Uh huh. Thank you so much for doing all that. That was so. Gosh, I can't even because you you understand this like because you touched on it like the amount of support here like mm-hmm. I came up with the idea on the show like I've been wanting to do a live show. I wanted to do my own show at the theater. Uh huh. But uh, when, during the summit like we got lunch. It was me, Nicole, John Hillowitz, and I can't remember who else was there. But like they were, they were all pitching their ideas, and then I was like, well, I wanted to do a live. What if I did that? Like I pitched it 30 minutes before I pitched it on stage. And then I remember pitching it and then getting like two people who came up and gave me things that weren't in my vision. But like they were like, you could maybe do characters. And I'm like, yeah, I could. I don't want to. But like I could. <laughs> um, yeah. Of course, I'm like, thank you for thank you for like investing like 14 seconds to like talk to me about it. And then Katie came over and was like, I want to see this. Let's do this. And then like that blossomed into like a writing team. And then you and I have talked a little bit about podcasts because you listen to Jim's and he, which we need to set the record straight on that. We'll do that right before the end. Okay. Like, um, <laughs> uh, you were like, we talked about like podcasts in general. And then I don't remember, I don't remember how it started, like getting you on board for the live show, but like um, it just did it. And it just turned into this thing where it was like, I really, I realized I didn't know what the hell I was doing when you came in. You're like, oh, this is how you do it. And then it worked out. And then like the episode that came out like two weeks ago was just like, well, two weeks ago, as of the time this airs, um, and it, it was like a real episode I did, and like I got like mega coalition stars to be on the show. And Jim, I don't I don't call him a star anymore because I did that once, and he won't let me live it down. So, stars and Jim, <laughs> sorry Jim, he won't listen to this. Stars um, and that guy, Jim Zarling. Yeah, Ellie Zarling. Um, but yeah, like, so what? What was I guess for me uh-huh. that was like probably the biggest thing I've ever done, like. Not like the biggest accomplishment that I have. Like uh-huh. that's gonna be graduating college because that was a rough time. But like excluding that and like looking at like creative pursuits, like the podcast is like a really awesome thing, but like doing that live show, like Matthew called it like because he gave me like a pep talk the night before. He's like, You gotta own it. Like this is your poster show, you gotta earn your poster and I'm just like, I do have to earn my poster and I feel like I did. Yeah. So I put on a good show and like everyone was happy and like got laughs and like whatever, but like yeah, it just feels like the biggest thing I've ever done. And I'm sure for you, having done so many big things already, like what was your takeaway? What was any 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 words, I guess, your your side of it? Um, let's see. Yes, it was well, it was fun to it was fun to be asked. Um and it's also kind of another thing to like you know, so many times like this opportunities come and then, you know, your ego kinda of answers for you just like I'm busy, I haven't done it before and it was like you know, you texted me, and I think my first reactions were too busy, don't know, sounds scary, lots <laughs> of people at the theater I don't know, gonna have to talk to people. Um, and then it was like, you know, this is just a natural progression of like this is the audio stuff I've been chasing for a long time and chasing 
recently with doing doing podcasts, like learning the technical side. So this is a perfect opportunity. And uh, I just happen to be having, um, it's like a sound engineer that does work for our company occasionally. And so I took him out to sushi and we chatted and like, and so it was just like, the, you know, and so it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you say yes to stuff and all of a sudden like, hey, you want to have sushi? Yeah, I'm doing work for this guy at the theater and it looks like this and it's kind of echoey. And so it was a chance to, you were really good about being able to be open to discussions and like, let me sort of, cause I had to talk through a lot of it. So I would throw something out like, this is the plan. And I'd be like, this is not the plan. <laughs> I remember running cables. That is not the plan. <laughs> and then I think it was, we were at the theater and I have this real clear memory that I was just like, uh, it was just a good, it was a good reminder of we're kind of going through. And then I think I was throwing out ideas and and I think in the the part of me the part of me for that like tries to get control sort of took over and I'm like yeah you should do this and this is your stage picture and you're like you're not doing that and I was like oh I'm a collaborator <laughs> this is his thing this is his passion shut the hell up and go back up to the booth and it was like okay and so yeah and, so that, and it was also like also because you because you asserted yourself in that moment. That was also like, okay, like I'm in good hands. Like this guy is going to watch his shit and he's going to do it how he wants. And it may not be the ideas I come up with, but he's going to do it. So just sign on to what his shit is and we'll get it done. And so that was a relief in a lot of ways because then it was like, okay, I worry about my courts. Like I work at my courts. I worry about the volume. That's my thing. And then I talked to Vinny briefly and he was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm there for you. And so it was just running up and down and like setting up and – you know, we just got that knocked out and you focused on working with, with the talent and getting those guys ready the way you needed to. And so it was a great collaboration because like there wasn't a lot of, you know, you set the example of just like, this is what you guys are worrying about and this is what's been decided. And then you took care of what you needed to take care of. So it was a good, it was a fun collaboration. It was not frustrating or anything. It was just like kind of straight on. I'm so glad you feel that way because, like, obviously it was the first time I had done anything. And I remember um, – because you went to the Summit. Yeah. They had that, they had that panel, about, panel about producing shows. Uh-huh. And I really, really tried because, like, you had a lot of great ideas. It was just um, – so one of the things that they preached was, like, be open to new things. Like, like if, there, if it was, like, so specific of a show where it's like, yeah, we have to do it exactly this way. But, like, for me, like, I knew what show I wanted to do, but also, like, I wanted feedback. I wanted people to, like, you know – assert right. themselves in their role and then like I would I would make the, the final choice like I remember Matthew like my best friend he was like I think you should save the impressions for the end I think that would be a much better send off and I remember thinking like that's one way to do it but I was like so set and like it was like I, I genuinely considered it but then I was like I need something to get them off one by one and also like give them a moment to shine and not like do it back to back so it kind of like ruins like the bit so in the end I, like I took his feet his and all of yours Seriously, and I think that the best thing was like, in the end, when it came to like what you were responsible for, I was like, you, I trust you enough. To, like, you're gonna do what you're gonna do. Like, like I wanted multi-track, but I was like, no, we got we got single track. That's what we're working with. Like, that's fine. That's and and, and you, you you took a lot on with like having to like ride it a lot, but like, you know, that was um, I guess that's the part of collaboration. That was the hard that was the hard thing too. Is like this is my project, and I'm like having other people like jump in and do a lot. Like you you and Phil were the two people who like. Spent the most time, like Phil did a lot of writing and you did a lot of like tech stuff. So I think it was really, it was really good for me to like let go and be like, they know what they're doing. They don't have to do this. They know that. 
like I would have found a way to get it recorded. I would have found questions to ask them, but like having you guys on made the show so much better. Yeah, it was it was fun and it, you know, it was like um it was a lot of just figuring stuff out in the fly. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, and you know, everybody was anybody that I talked to, like I talked to I got advice from Sean Hambright and I like talked to talked to Jim and you know, I was just like just kind of an open, relaxed like dialogue of like we've tried this and this didn't work and you should think about this and so yeah, I felt like you know, you, yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing to, you know, it's like one thing to be open to ideas. The worst thing to do, in my opinion, when you're working with people is like be indecisive about your shit. You can change your mind, mm-hmm. but like, and you don't want to be like too hard edged about we have to do it this way, but you know, you should have a direction that you're pointed. And if you happen to change direction, but it's like when you're working with people are like, I don't know, like when I collaborate, you know, I don't care if I fight with you, <laughs> like <laughs> as long as we could come to a resolution. But I would rather do that than like, hey, what do you want for the music? And you're like, I don't know. I like a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, okay, we're how long is this gonna take? <laughs> yeah, that was you know, a, put it, put us, put it, put a flag down. Yeah, I think that was the thing too. Is like there was like for Casey, like because he was doing the music, I was like, uh huh. As of now, no music. If you want to add stuff in, feel free. Like that's fine. Yeah, yeah. That was that. That was definitely. I didn't even realize that I did that. But like you telling me that I did that, I was like, oh yeah, I did a good job. Yeah, that was funny because I I handed you. I had yeah. Casey did that, and it was like just in case he wants to like pull the music up and add it back to the track, mm-hmm. you know, just write him down. He's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then I took it down to you, and you were like, well, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this is. Yeah, I don't know what this is. Who did this? Yeah, <laughs> like you did. <laughs> you did, boss. <laughs> Yeah, I give that to Jake. I don't know if you. I, I, I didn't listen to the live one. Uh, did you? Did you? Did you listen to it? I um. I listened editing? to. I haven't. I haven't had a chance to sit down and hold. I jumped to like. Uh, I jumped to the um the Jesse Ventura stuff, um and then cut it. But I need to like. I can't really listen to stuff like for pleasure unless I'm either on a dog walk or, um, driving. So your stuff is for long road trips. <laughs> So when I go, I'm gonna go to. I'm going to Chicago um, the first week of July. So I probably will put on like some of the podcasts like that are more an hour or more to kind of catch up with. But otherwise, like if I listen to it at work, then I'm listening technically. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm also distracted. Yeah, I, we, we know how you are. We, we heard about that. Yeah, we heard about that. We heard about the distraction thing. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I never want people to listen to them, but I think this was one because it was a theater show. I like, I care if people listen, but I'm not gonna be like, you don't listen. It's crazy. Do you look at your metrics? I do, I do, and uh, they're disappointing. In in that, I don't know if they're real, and the only stat I have is downloads, and I don't know what that means. Like, mm. is it like streams? Does it count those? Because I know like Anthony listens to it on the website. Like, I don't know. And then like Aaron's episode, like the the episodes average lately under a hundred. Okay. Thirty to to sixty maybe, which is fine. Like I don't care. But then Aaron's episode got like twelve hundred downloads. What? Yeah, so that skews. I'll pull them up real quick so you can kind of see how like skewed it is. But like, interesting. Yeah, I don't understand how that's even possible. Like, okay, well now you just now you just triggered my competitive nature. If Creditor got how many did she get? Twelve. She, let's see. So so if you see like the graph, like they're all supposed to be up, but because she got twelve eighty seven, it like skews my my metrics. And she didn't plug. Obviously. She Obviously, Credier is in league with the Chinese. Yeah. This is fake news. Right? 
1287. That's that, that's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. But like you <laughs> can have then, a whole another episode of just running down this mystery. And then uh, the episode after Taylor O'Sullivan 61. Uh-huh. And the one before Katie 182. Okay, Katie 182. How how about Danny? Daniel Falarka. 89. Oh, okay. 89. And uh, you know what sucks? My, my Matthew, his downloads suck. I think between his three episodes, he might have triple digits. Ah, Nobody rough. listens to Matthews, and they're like some of my favorites. I will say the first episode we did was three hours. Okay. Yeah, that's um, that's tricky for me to do, like to listen to a to listen to like an hour, even an hour long podcast is just yeah. It was because I was like I was like completely copying the, the the you made it weird format, so I did two hours minimum. Okay. Minimum two hours, and like some of them would like fluctuate between two and three. So like, man, it was um, it was a lot to ask people, and now it's like, I changed I I, I changed I I needed a, I realized after doing it too many I was like, I need to change my format, and I think it's so much better. I'm much happier with it. All right, so let's go ahead and settle some business. Okay. Uh, the gym episode. Uh huh. You were. That was the first time we ever talked. I think, like, really talked. Uh huh. Um, and you brought that up like three times since. Oh, so it was the first time we talked, and then I complained, and then I complained two more times. Yeah, like something wow. along those lines. Like that was like the. That first, sounds just like me. The first, yeah, it was like the first time we talked. You were like, you talked about like. You were like, oh, I do podcasting, and I have like this live thing that I do. I do it all as it goes, and also, he. And then yeah, you brought that up, and then you brought that up like one or two more times, and it was just like, it, it wasn't like a bad impression at all. I thought it was hilarious, but it was just like, I want to, I want to publicly address it. Okay, let's do it because I think this is going to be exactly ten episodes after. Okay. So you've been stewing on this for a while. I'm gonna let you say it. Okay, I've been. Okay, yeah. So the okay. So the complaint, the complaint that I made that I filed against the producers, <laughs> which is about people doing creative work, and it's almost exclusively based around the Coalition Theater, is that nobody talks about your team. So if Jonathan isn't gonna do it, whoever's sitting in this chair, whatever chair it is, like, say, I'm on Jensen. You don't even have to say you like us. You don't even have to say any of that. You could just say, I'm on Jensen. I've been like, I, you know, I guess, you know, for me, your podcasts are a chance to learn about people that I play with, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing this like long conversation that I just don't have the time or ever in the context to do it. So, and like learning about Jim was good. Um, And I think at that point it was also like when Jim didn't do it. You know, I got a little sad because he's our coach. And I thought he'd say like, at least like, hey, I coach Brave Ragu. He didn't even say, I like like to coach Brave Ragu. So th- I think this is before you guys merged, too. So he said, I coach Bag Ragu and a couple other teams. And you were um, oh, Brave was that Bird. What it- oh, oh, Jonathan. I, we're Brave Baby. Brave Baby. Brave Baby, and we merged to become he, Brave Ragu. He didn't mention, so I didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know because of Jim. Jim yeah. didn't tell me. Yeah. He was, I think maybe after it was like yeah brave bird or whatever who cares <laughs> brave b- 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 <laughs> it's a beast doesn't really matter they're not they're not as good as <laughs> bad ragu and guys yeah he did he didn't mention yeah the guys team. they they kind of suck they kind of suck yeah we almost as much as Charlottesville they suck <laughs> it's not like Charlottesville <laughs> <laughs> Jim why didn't and you 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 actually did bring it to him I don't think he had an answer but like yeah 
you gotta you gotta shout out your shout out your peeps. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I yeah I well we I think I see I but I, I snuck it in not very well at the beginning of the show but yeah Jensen and Brave I go. Yeah. Um, and then Jim Zarling is our coach, and then uh, Casey is also coach. Mama Casey. Mama Casey for uh, for uh, Jensen. So yeah, both different teams, both have a blast with um, playing on stage with those guys. It's like so fun. It's been yeah, it's been a real. It's been really fun, and I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping Brave Rago gets like a, we get another eight week run. We opened for Sounds Good to Me for eight weeks, and that was just really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, you guys are so much fun to watch because. Like the, the dynamics of like y'all's friendship is just it just shines like you guys going on because I think you, you if I'm correct y'all went on and then Jensen went on yeah last night mm-hmm. yeah you guys just have this dynamic of just like fun and it just like really shows like again like there was a scene where Dan and Pete were on stage and uh, <laughs> Gretchen uh-huh. I fully believe and I think this has been confirmed not in character as Gretchen was uh-huh. just like just kiss already and it was just like. She's talking to, to the, the, the humans, yes. Dan and Pete. Yes, and it was she just was. Like, I loved that because it was like fun and relaxed, and it just was like really, really inspiring. You like to see people do kind of things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's everybody's, you know, it's it's totally, it's whatever we're doing on stage together, like everybody's relaxed and feels a certain amount of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anything can still happen, but like, yeah, there's always, there's always a certain amount of like, you know, if I walk on stage and like, just some random person walks up from the from the team, like man, like yeah, that'll be fine. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I love I, all the house teams have really come into their own for sure. Yeah, it was a fun last night. Was a really fun night to just see everybody, everybody like go one right after the other. So it felt like last night was like new wave coalition, and now we're gonna get to see out of town and all that, an old oh, wave. Some of the yeah, the old guard will be up to will be up tonight, and then uh, yeah, some friends man. Um, there's no reason to do a plug since this will air after, but, mm-hmm. uh, um, some friends of mine, like, um, I kind of just pitched to them like a while back when Katie, like made a call for other teams. And so, uh, uh my friend, Chris, uh, DeYoung from San Francisco, his team came in yesterday mm-hmm. and so they're performing tonight and they're the, um, past our primetime players. They're all my age <laughs> and, uh, and they're all teachers. They're teachers at, at a, um, at a theater called Leela in San Francisco. And so they, they constantly talk about what it's like to still practice improv with people that are like now really significantly younger than they are. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I'm looking, looking forward to that. They, they, they do their set in sweater vests because <laughs> they're old. That's the joke. <laughs> I didn't get it before, but now okay, I do. Yeah, yeah. They, they come up and I dotter might... around for a little, for five minutes <laughs> and then they do their set. I, uh, I might be like... Uh wearing out the welcome but like did they invite you to do to join them um they didn't um they didn't because it's their thing and like yeah yeah it's their thing and i'm like a newbie chris would like to yeah we're trying to find i don't know how we're going to make this happen because chris was like if you can make it happen in the theater just do that but you know we've so he was practicing improv when i kind of wanted to practice improv which is in the 90s so he was in Chris was in that I.O. scene in the 90s that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So he was he was in the theater at the same time as all those other people. And uh, and so he just continued doing it. And then once he got to San Francisco and away from the I.O., then I think he he really blossomed as a performer and as a creative, a maker of creative stuff. Like once he got out of that environment, then it was just like, wow. Because um, he doesn't talk about Dell in like a very 
significant way. Like, <laughs> yes, he trained under close, but, you know, it was not, I think, as significant creatively for, you know, like the other things that he did later. Because mm-hmm. um, he does, like, a long-form, like, duo for an hour with, with somebody he's been working with out there, and then the, and then he works with the with this group of two other people here that are here, uh, that are here today. Um, yeah, so... I'm hoping to get some, you know, so we're, yeah, we, we're currently going under the t- the working title of Tall and Lumpy. Um, <laughs> Is he lumpy? We're just both tall and both lumpy. <laughs> we're both, we're both like Dutch, Michigan Dutch giants. We're both like 6'5". <laughs> and both had to look a little bit like Frankenstein. And um, yeah, so, and we're lumpy because we're both 51. Yeah. So... Yeah, we're gonna do the yeah. So we're we're hoping to get some stage time, or if like we can, because it was like maybe we could just jump up at like you know six when you know just the house manager's there. We could jump up on stage and just oh like my do gosh. a set. Please text me if you do that. I okay. really want to see that because I'm like I'll go early for that. Chris and I have never done improv before, and I have watched him for years, and he's always been kind of you know he was never pushy about it, but it was just like you're kind of born you know you you think quick, you're weird, you should be doing this stuff, and um. Yeah, and I like uh, I find I find improv like as helpful to my day to day life as like doing meditation or doing a little bit of exercise. Like, it is very weekly for me. It's just really helpful to just kind of get through the week. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So yeah, I really want to see that. Please do that. Is that yeah. is that gonna happen in like an hour and a half? Um, it yeah, I gotta find out. Those guys are at Bell Isle, I think, exploring, and then uh, yeah, so you gotta. F- I don't know, probably not at six today because uh, I get to pick up my mother in law and get her to the theater. She's gonna go to the show tonight. Oh, nice. Um, sounds good to me. Opens. Yeah, yeah, she excited. likes. Yeah, she really enjoys. Sounds good to me, and uh, she was an enthusiastic fan. So uh, she, my my wife, my wife's gonna meet us down there. I'm just taking her to Saison to get a drink, and then we'll go. I'll like toddle her over to the theater so yeah maybe maybe saturday um and i also don't know well so you're the inside gossip guy for a coalition so i should have asked you this question first first of all where did that come from because you are man you're like you're the head of the media wing i guess so you're the propaganda organ okay all right well let's hear it (laughs) yeah own it um (laughs) excuse me so yeah so there's an all-star show Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people that play on the All Star. Were you here last year when they did the All Star show at the? Or is this your first festival? It's my first festival. Okay, so the, so the fest so the All Star show ends at Gallery Five, and it's like the wrap up for the festival. And so there's a group of people that are on stage, and they're from all different teams. So last year is like my mama's biscuits, and there are people from Ambassador and the Johnsons and Big Bosses, and you know, a couple people here and there from the other teams. So what's the process? How do you get onto the all-star team? Like, so mainly my question is completely personal is like, will Chris, will Chris and I maybe be on stage together during the all-star team so we can play together? Or are we going to be in the back alley playing together at like, you know, four, (laughs) come see tall and lumpy down by the sewer grate. Hey, put some money in the hat. <laughs> you should get your hats ready for sure. We should get our hats ready. <laughs> no, I think uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Get how some saison money. But I think it's. Uh, I think it's definitely going to be like mostly out of state, and then probably. I, 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 yeah, but is there a secret committee? Is like Bo? Is Bo just making all the decisions and Matt? Or they have a hat? Like what is it? I don't know. Use your investigative journalism skills. <laughs> as like as like the head of propaganda for the coalition. 
I will, uh, I will, I will see what I can do okay. and uh, get back to you. You are also on the team detective, is that correct? That is correct. Okay, there you go. I'll get my glasses ready. You have a mystery. <laughs> I'll get, I'll get what on. is what is uh, how does the sausage get made? <laughs> what is the secret behind the All Star team? <laughs> what dark what dark secret is there? Payoffs? Is there payoffs? Yeah, you huh? got, what, Where's the fifty bucks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At two o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow, I'm going to get a phone call from Katie Holocomb, whose voice will be disguised, and it'll be like, bring the 50 bucks to the back door. Three o'clock. Where's my 50 bucks? You have to use the stage from three to four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no extra stage time and no all-star show unless you get the 50 bucks. <laughs> Was there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to cover? No. I mean, uh, you know, I've just been kind of free-forming it. So it's been, yeah, it's been fun, a fun time, and um, this is the first time that um, I've used the studio here. Ooh. Yeah, so it's been cool to kind of kick the tires and just yeah. like see see how it would be for because I'm never going to sit here again. Um, I'm always going to be sitting in that chair, so it's nice to like kind of get a sense of like if this is a good space to talk. And it seems like it worked out pretty well. Yeah, great. We're not too close, not too far away. Uh-huh. Made eye contact all the way through. Yeah, uh-huh. I'd give it. I'd yeah. give it a five stars. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very special. I would say maybe some foam on the walls, but like it definitely needs foam. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what my studio has currently in my house. And we're gonna have pictures of famous political figures that like have interviewed in here, and then I'm gonna have a picture of Frank Sinatra because <laughs> you've inspired me. Please, please. And, and actually, I think maybe we can get Anthony to get us some some Frank Sinatra pictures. If if you can, oh, if you can find just find a good picture that would represent, and I'll put one in my studio. I'm, now, if I'm you inspired. know somebody with okay, anybody that's listening, if you have any Photoshop skills. Can you get a picture? Can you Photoshop a picture of Frank Sinatra yelling at me, and then I'll put that on my studio <laughs> wall? Like Anthony, this you have fucking your guy. This I fucking hate this guy. fucking guy. And then like you, you being bored. Oh, I would love to be bored sitting next to Frank Sinatra. Although I do, I do love Sinatra. I'm I'm more of a Dino guy actually. Actually, I would. I think I want to see you yelling at a waiter and him being bored. Of Sinatra being bored and me yelling at a waiter. Yeah, you have a good yelling face. Oh shit! I yelled way too much. Um, <laughs> so I could t- can I tell you the the Zarling thing that still haunts me? Oh please. Okay, so, and this is just to just to just to quantify. Like, this has helped me a tremendous amount, and it was a quick line that he probably doesn't even remember. But um, we were talking, and like you know. Anger is one of my go-tos, and so I always like try to work on stage of like, okay, just you know. If you feel yourself like wanting to switch to the anger asshole guy, like put on the happy face and just like that's your that's your thing for the scene, or just try other uh, try other things, and um, and then with anger try other tones. But um, I remember just being in practice one day, and um, we were talking about emotions, which we do every practice, and then Jim just kind of turned and looked at me and said, "Well, I feel like I've seen everything in your toolbox," and I was like, "Motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, it was like, okay, tone down the anger bullshit. I think another week it was like, I feel like all you do is talk about murder and death. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, talk about other things. So, yeah, yeah I've enjoyed, you know, he, the thing about uh, Jim was like, uh, when I want, I, I like wanted to try another team and kind of push, push in the uh, different directions. And so I put something in the coalition and a lot of really great people contacted me um, and, some of them it was difficult for scheduling and everything. I think David Pijor, like I sat down for coffee with him to talk about a team. And it was just like, I want to do like annoyance 
theater principles. And so more simplified, not form, more emotion, emotional investment. And um, like this, that that one-on-one and some object work and like environment building, but just working on just that scene. And uh, yeah, and so had a bunch of interesting meetings. And then like uh, I walked into, I walked into the coalition one day and Zarling was just like, I want to be your coach. Like that is my jam. And yeah, and just talked to him at length. They just had these really great conversations about improv. And I'd always thought of him as the guy that teaches stand up. And so it was just really nice to like hear how he played. And he just, yeah, he's, is fascinating to talk to you about like just like improv philosophy and mm-hmm. what it means and and why it's fun. You can tell like he just loves he loves to do it and talk about it. And those are the kind of people I want to hang around with. Absolutely, yeah. I had a lot of fun when he was on the show for sure. Yeah, that was that was a fun show. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it. I think we're we are we're going long. Okay. It's not bad though. Yeah, chop it down however you want. No, it won't be chopped down. Bite-sized pieces. <laughs> All right, well, hey, it was a pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for doing the show, man. All right. All right, bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.